can't tell you how uh, humbling it is um, to to think that um, that there would be a group of men that would be willing to go through this book. I, there have been other churches that have done the same thing, and I'm just always just stunned at at how God can use uh, the likes of me uh, in His ministry. You know, we're flawed, um, and I don't want to ever present something that I'm not. And it's, so I, I will try to be very transparent with you guys. You know, and I'm. I'm just like you. I, I feel those 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 temptations and those challenges that we all do as men. And um, I'm, I may be a little bit further down the road than some of you guys, or just to have a little different path. Just very humbled and grateful that God has allowed me to do this. You know, one thing about um, following the Lord: if you're really in, if you really are all in, uh, it's not comfortable. <laughs> Jesus never said it would be comfortable. It, in fact, he calls us out of our comfort zone. And that's really the choice of courage, guys. Um, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I the fact that I'm standing here before you today is was so far outside of anything that I ever wanted to do or was willing to do or anything part of my comfort zone. Um, I am an, I'm actually, a, as a child, as a young guy, I was a pretty extreme introvert. <laughs> um, I took the Briggs-Meyer personality test just uh, here about a year ago, and I'm 96% introvert. It probably doesn't look like it, does it? <laughs> um, I mean, when Andrea and I were dating, um, she asked me once, she says, what's your biggest fear in life? I said, that's easy. That would be having to get up in front of a group of people and having, having to talk. And she's like, what? I said, yeah, I, I don't ever want to do that. And I said, well, what's your greatest fear in life? She said, that's easy. That would be flying. And so um, she married a pilot, and I married a speech theater major. And uh, so she's up doing what she was born to do, and I'm here facing my uncomfortableness. <laughs> and so I just want you to know that um, being obedient to Christ is, is going to put you, unco- going to make you uncomfortable. But that's where there's purpose. That's where there's the ability to impact others. Um, God, God never called us to be comfortable as believers in Christ, in, in Jesus Christ. He acts, he asks us to just be obedient and wherever, wherever we go in that obedience, he will be there and, and lift us up and, and support us. And so to think that uh, a book or that you guys would even come and listen to me talk is very humbling. Um, for me, for me, I'm, I'm just, um, grateful that God has given me a chance to speak to you. For one thing, I have, you know, you heard me in the last session here, I, even more than, than family is the role of, of the man in that family. When you can change the heart of a man, you change the destiny of a family. You can change the destiny of generations of families by the change of one heart in a man. I believe that the, the influence of the man in the home is that powerful. And before I get too far, I, I do want to say that um, what I'm going to talk about is just you know, how we can be impactful in the lives of our children in particular, but our wives also. And there are, there are many of us in different seasons of life here, right? Um, we, have, we have guys that are in the throes of family, right, with Young ones and teenagers, we have guys that maybe don't even have any kids. We have guys that have kids that are adults, or maybe your grandparents, right? There are all kinds of, of seasons of life. So um, know that no matter where you are, God has the ability to use you and impact the lives of the people close to you. 
Um, I heard a, a proverb once that said something like this. It says, when is the best time to plant a tree? It's 20 years ago, <laughs> right? When is the second best time to plant a tree? It's today. So if you happen to be maybe that guy that, that didn't plant his tree 20 years ago to produce spiritual fruit, know that today is the day. God can use you right now where you're at to impact those people that you love and that love you. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 90. It's amazing. And I saw that happen in my own family. Um, growing up, my dad was, my mom was a real uh, strong spiritual um, woman um, and just faithful in spite of a lot of things against her. My dad was a really good dad, but spiritually he just really wasn't that spiritual leader in our home, you know. And, um, and so he, he kind of wafted, you know, for years. And, and actually when I, became, when I was an adult, and, and finally when he was about, um, I think he was probably about 60 years old, he finally just all bought into it. Now, my, my parents had seven kids. I was the youngest of seven. And, and there was three of us that made a decision for Christ early on. And the other four, eh, you know. And so our family was kind of in this tipping point. You know, it's like, you know, a lot of drinking and going on with one half. The other half is like praying for them. And and, just, and and all of a sudden, there was a period of about five years where everything shifted. And all of a sudden, this one daughter got just radically born again and saved in this, in, in my brother's family and then and then her sister and, and it just and it just started like just and now the whole family is just devout believers are just not that we don't have trouble of course but then i thought why did that happen and i realized it was about the same time that my dad the grandpa of 29 kids and of 60 great-grandchildren completely bought into it and he started a ministry called the Musical Messengers where he and my mom and a couple of other um, couples their age went out and they started singing and ministering to old people in old folks' homes and churches and communities. And, he, and his, that was his new purpose in life. And that just was like the, tilt, the tipping point for our entire family. And so I just don't ever give up, all right? Don't ever. God is, is never done with you, all right? He's never done with you. So if you haven't planted your tree, plant it today. I remember, uh, so I, I gave you a little bit of my background. We decided to exit the Air Force, and um, that was a tough decision for us. <laughs> we thought, I thought, well, let's be logical about this. So I'm going to write down all the pros for leaving the Air Force and all the cons for leaving the Air Force. And my wife, by then, had really been acclimated to the Air Force way of life, and she was really enjoying it and doing well. For one thing, it was adventuresome. She thought... I don't know if she ever thought she was marrying an electrical engineer. She was going to marry into a life of boredom, but it wasn't certainly not that. And uh, she kind of got used to this. We were kind of adrenaline junkies at the time. And we wrote down all these things for and against leaving the Air Force because I had an option. And uh, it was a funny thing. So we wrote all these things down, and then we gave weights. See, I'm an engineer, so we got to do this you know, analytically, right? So we gave weights, 1 to 10, on how important each one of these things were for the pros and, and how important each one. And when we finished, we added them all up. And it was 123 to 123. <laughs> I was like, what? This is not helpful at all, you know, Lord. And I realized then that I thought, you know, we've been praying about this, but God was just silent. And then it dawned on me later on that, you know, sometimes God doesn't give us an answer. And I believe it's because he is trying to create leaders. And leaders have to make decisions. And when God doesn't answer what you're supposed to do, 
I think he's saying, you choose, just like he told Abraham, you choose. Where you go, I will be. Because you've got to have men that can make decisions and be wise about those decisions. And if all you ever do is just um, do what you're told, right? You don't really develop those leadership skills. So I think that's what happened. We chose to exit. I know he would have been with us if we'd have stayed in. But I came home to Williston, North Dakota. My dad and my three brothers had a plastic injection molding company making Stringliner reels. We sold at Ace Hardware here in Alamosa for years. But uh, all over the world, these things were sold. And um, I was the engineer. I was the product design engineer and the automation engineer for them. And um, after we had two more children, um, so fast forward about three years, three, four years, and I remember one day at work, I, we were my machinist, master machinist, and I were working on a new mold, and we'd spent all day cutting grooves in a piece of steel. And I remember driving home thinking, what have I done? <laughs> I mean, I used to fly F-16s for the United States Air Force. I had a promising career. My superiors liked me. My peers liked me. I had, I mean, there was, the, the sky was the limit, literally. And now I'm here cutting grooves in a piece of steel in Williston, North Dakota. Nobody in the world's ever going to care or know what I did today. <laughs> and I thought, man, I just gave up my adventurous life for an adrenalineless life of just being here at its job. And my, my, my heart prayer to the Lord was, Lord, I want to do something great for you. And it sure doesn't feel like this is it. Lord, help me find, what am I supposed to do? I want to do something great for you. And, and I can tell you the spot on the road where he whispered to my heart. And he said, Chuck, you are going home to my great work for you right now. I have given you six little people to disciple, to train, to raise, and to launch for my kingdom. You go and do that well. And wow, that that 30-second moment on the road just changed my life. It transformed my whole perspective about what was successful, successful and what was purposeful. And I realized, you know, I just, I just entered into that with a whole different attitude. And I went home and gathered my kids and my family together and realized this is what's important. Um, so, guys, I, just, I, I hope that during this session here um, I can help convey to you that your role as a dad or a grandfather, there's nothing greater I don't think there's anything greater that you can do in the world than to be that godly dad for those people, to show them the way to Christ. Um, so let me just take a moment and dedicate the rest of this time to the Lord in prayer, please, and then we'll press on. Lord, so grateful to be here. I thank you for these men. I thank you for their hearts, their willingness to, to come and, and hear from your word, and Lord, to just uh, seek out um, and help and instruction from you on how to be um, Help, help all of us, Lord, that we might all become better dads and better grandfathers, better husbands. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with us this hour, fill this place. I pray for the women upstairs, that you'd bless them and the session that's happening there and speak to their hearts as well. We ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest things I ever did in life was... Um, was uh, undergraduate pilot training at Reese Air Force Base in Lubbock, Texas. It was, uh, I'd always wanted to fly, and when I got there, it was a dream come true, but wow, was it intense. It was 12 months of being constantly evaluated physically, emotionally, academically. It was just every single day. It was just stressful. And um, 
and I didn't eat breakfast for a year because I just couldn't. I was just too anxious. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember uh, when I got there, um, I was, because I had had uh, three years as a combat comm officer, I was uh, an older officer in the class. There was a, a captain that was in there who outranked me, so I was the second um, leading uh, ranking officer. And then there was like uh, 25 academy cadet, uh, academy graduates from the academy. You know, these are the best of the best of the best kind of guys, you know. And so, um, zoomies as they were uh, called. And so anyway, they were, they were in that class and I was like, wow, I'm in, I'm in for it. And these guys are top notch, you know, so I'm going to have to really perform. And the way it works is, <clears throat> um, they give the top 10% of each class their choice of airplane to fly. After that, it's the, as the Air Force needs go. So that meant like two or maybe three of us were going to get to fly our plane. And if you didn't, if you weren't winning in, that, in one of those top two spots, your chances of getting your plane, I mean, you could be flying cargo planes or whatever, which wasn't bad, but I mean, I wanted to fly the fighter. I grew up dreaming about flying a fighter. And so there was this natural tendency to built in to compete. And I, when I got there, I thought, I'm not going to compete, Lord. I'm going to encourage every single one of these guys. You just help me be, a, 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 help me be a testimony for you for this class. And so um, I, I, that was my perspective on it. And, and when I got there, these guys, evidently, they looked at me with a wife and a little girl. And my wife was pregnant, going to have another one halfway through the program. And they said, he's not, he's not going to make this. <laughs> and uh, so about halfway through, I ended up actually doing pretty well. I started out, you know, you know, looking like a like a dork, as often happens. And then I did better and better and better. And about halfway through the program, one of these guys, one of these uh, other students came to me. His name was Mike. He's a great big, tall guy, academy grad. <coughs> he said, Mike, he said, Chuck, you got a minute? I said, sure, Mike. Well, what do you need? He said, well, he kind of pulled me off the side, so it was just him and I. He said, I've got a question for you. He said, you know, when you got here, we all took bets on how long you were going to last. We figured a guy with a wife, he's older, he's got a child, his wife's pregnant. We, we gave you a couple months. We figured you were going to wash out. And uh, he said, but we watched you. And uh, he said, you actually did well. He said, in fact, he said, you, you're doing better than the rest of us. He said, I just got to ask you, how are you doing that? Um, how, how much time are you giving to the program? And I said, well, Mike... Um, let me ask you a question. Uh, how many times are you going to go through pilot training? He said, well, gosh, just one time. I said, yeah, you get one shot at this, Mike. I said, you wash out, it's over. You finish the program, you don't get what you want, it's over. You don't get to go through a second time. He said, well, yeah, that's true. I said, Mike, this is my one shot. I'm giving it absolutely everything I've got. I said, let me put it this way. When I go to the bathroom, I take my books with me. He was just like, wow, I better suck it up. I better get after it. I said, yeah, you need to put more in. And the reason I share that story with you guys is um, you only get one shot at being the dad you're supposed to be. You only get one trip on this planet, all right, one shot through. And I just want to encourage you to give it absolutely everything you've got. Don't you hold anything back from being that godly husband and that godly father that the Lord has called you to be. There's great reward when you do that. It's going to be hard. It's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. It's going to be challenging. 
You may not be able to eat breakfast. (laughs) It's going to be stressful, but I'm telling you, it's what we're called to do. We're called to lead with courage and strength and humility and confidence and boldness. We're going to talk about all those things. Don't hold anything back, guys. Don't you go to your grave with regrets. All right. And I think I I remember when I was exiting the Air Force, my colonel wanted to hear we had an exit, you know, dialogue about, you know, why and that sort of thing. And, And I'm sitting in the office with him and and he says, so, Chuck, why are you getting out? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I I've got three kids soon to have four kids in the next week or so. And I I just feel called to really engage myself as a dad. And I don't I don't want to be an absent dad. I'm going to be here for him. And he looked at me with the saddest look because his kids were grown. He said, Chuck, most guys don't figure that out until it's too late. God bless you. So, guys, don't don't figure it out too late. Okay. And, I, and that's why I gave you the story about the tree, too, because I know that, there, like I said, there's different seasons. Your impact is never done. It's never over. And my dad's wasn't either. Um, your job is going to be harder than UPT, okay, if you do it right. And you guys are here this morning. That tells me that you care. It tells me you're up for the challenge. And so I applaud you for that. I salute you for... Yeah, you guys that are going to the Bible study and giving weeks, you know, to that, and then being here this morning um, and being engaged, I salute you for that. Um, our example is Jesus Christ. Uh, it was Dr. John Maxwell that said, everything, everything rises or falls on leadership. Guys, it's all about leadership. All of it is about leadership. And the ultimate example of the perfect leader is Jesus Christ. As I started to, to, to prepare this session years ago, and I thought, well, what's a good example? And I looked at all my military handbooks and all the leadership examples that they had, and all of a sudden it started connecting with me. It's almost as though the military looked at the person of Christ and said, let's just write down the characteristics that he demonstrated in his ministry on this, on this world. <laughs> and it was remarkable. It was remarkable what a perfect example of a perfect leader that Jesus Christ is. And what does he say for you and I to be? To become more and more like Christ every day. That includes every aspect. That just doesn't mean doing the good and right thing. It means being the leader that he was for his disciples, for the people, and for this world. So we're going to look at him as our example. He took inexperienced fishermen and tax collectors and he changed the world. You ever see a basketball or a volleyball or a hockey team that starts winning championships? And it's not just, well, sometimes it's a one-off, but sometimes it's like decade of winning championships. Isn't it remarkable? Do you think it's because they had 10 years of really good students coming through? It's because of the coach. It's the leadership of that coach. And that's what we can do for our families, guys. Um, Jesus... Um, took these guys, they became pillars of faith, standing the test of time and the persecution and the trials that they experienced. You must care and you must recognize what's important in your life. The fate of your children depends on that. Okay. All right. Um, take you a little, done a little journey here. Um, so I kind of did this already in the last session, the war for the family. And so I remember when I was flying F-16s, there was one particular set of, of, and this is in the book, so you guys, there's a little bit of a repeat, 
But uh, for those that weren't there, I want to share it. Um, I went into a BFM uh, mission with uh, a, a flight lead. And uh, we briefed up. BFM is basic fighter maneuvers. It's basically dogfighting, learning how to dogfight. And we got a, a MOA, military operating area, out over the ocean, over the Atlantic. And uh, we set up in a, in a, a defensive BFM engagement, which meant that um, you know, there's different kinds. There's offensive, there's defensive, and then there's, um, there's uh, neutral, where, you know, two jets flying at each other 180 degrees and you, you know, Fights on, right? In this particular case, so you quickly become offensive or defensive, bit depending on your tactics. Um, they wanted to cut to the chase, get rid of the rest of that, and then just get me in a defensive situation to see if I could survive, right? And so what that was, what that meant is, I was a mile ahead of my of my flight lead in a thirty degree bank turn, and he's he's behind me, almost ready to in position to engage his weapons, right? That's a defensive BFM position, and at fights on call. Basically, I have uh, one or two minutes, really, to see if I can survive the day. And what happens is, at fights on call, it's really about just flying tight circles. The whole Tom Cruise thing with juking and jiving and air brakes is just is a joke. It's, that, that's not. Now, that, that, the, the second movie, who's seen the second Top Gun movie? Okay. Did you like it? Yeah. Okay. And you know what? I, I think almost every fighter pilot does too because uh, Tom Cruise is a lot older and a lot more experienced and he actually flew uh, quite a bit and he realized that the first one was uh, kind of just a joke. <laughs> and so uh, the second one, actually, they employed tactics that we learned every day there. So it's just pretty authentic um, with, with some Hollywood fudge. <laughs> so anyway, it's really about flying circles and who can fly the tightest circle fastest to get around behind the other guy. So basically I, I banked my jet in a 90 degree turn and then reefed back on the stick and instantly went to nine G's, right? So when you do that, everything inside your, your cockpit, including you, weighs nine times more. Now I'm a slender guy, 170 pounds. So I instantly weighed like 1400 pounds, right? At nine G's. Um, it's, it's a pain that you just don't know how to even, you can't really describe it to anybody. It's just kind of something you have to experience. Uh, it's just something that you just want it to stop, but you know that if you do, you're going to die. And so there's, there's nine G's now in that nine G turn, your, your goal is you have to keep an eye on, on, on the guy that's behind you. Right. And so they told us that you have to be twisted in your cockpit and you should be looking over your right shoulder and see the left wing. Okay. So like this, and I should be able to see that wing, all right? So you're twisting the cockpit like that, and then you pull back nine Gs. So you can imagine what's, what's happening to your spine, right? <laughs> and, and then on top of that, you know, all the sweat that's been gathering in your, in your head is, is starting to pull down and drop into your eyes, right? And the mask, which is your oxygen to keep you alive, is trying to rip off your face. So you got to have that tightened up so tight. You see pilots with the red stuff, red run. That's because it's so tight because they have to have it tight to keep from ripping off their face when they're pulling nine Gs. And so I'm in this position and I'm pulling these nine Gs. Oh, yeah. And, and in addition to that, not only does my arm weigh uh, a lot more in my head and everything, but all of my organs do too including the blood inside my body, right? And so, anybody ridden a roller coaster that's pretty aggressive, right? Where you're at the bottom and you feel that? You're probably feeling three to four Gs. I think some of the newer ones might get up to five or so. Um, and so, they, they taught us that uh, if the only way to stay conscious, because what happens is the blood gets heavy and it starts to leave your brain, right? Once, once that happens to a certain extent, you just completely lose consciousness, you probably all have experience where you stand up too quick, you get dizzy, right? That's just a, t a twinge of what happens. And so 
When the blood leaves your brain, um, you go unconscious, and they call it G-lock, G-induced loss of consciousness. And the F-16 was the first jet that could in- induce 9G so fast, they lost quite a few pilots before they figured out how to, to deal with this. Um, because there would be an instantaneous loss of consciousness. There was no buildup like in previous jets. And so um, they taught us to do a G maneuver, which is basically you tighten all the muscles in your body, especially in your legs and your arms, and you grunt, right, like that, and it pushes it, it forces the blood pressure up into your head to keep um, the blood where it's supposed to be, right? And you've done that, right? And you can your eyes can almost get red, right? So um, in addition to that, they, they give us a G suit, right? And it's, a, it's, it's something, now they do a full body G suit. At my time, it was just an abdomen on down, and they have blood bladders that ties into the sixth stage of the engine, all right? And so you plug in, and this bladder, when the computer recognizes G-force is coming on, it, and it is really tight, this, this, and then the bladders inside the G-suit would fill up with air and help your muscles squeeze the blood vessels in your legs and your arms, or in your, in your abdomen in particular, because that's where most of the blood is, and squeeze that so that it wouldn't pool down at the bottom of your, of your body, all right? Well, it's, some of that pooling happened anyway, and what would happen is um, the capillaries on your legs and your arms and your buttocks would start to burst, okay? And we would call them jimmies, those little red splotches that would show up, you know, somebody come back, say, you get red splotches, oh, you've been fighting BFM? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so all that Tom Cruise stuff about being very, that's the pain that's actually happening inside there. Um, and so, there I was twisted in my cockpit, trying to keep an eye on my guy, and, um, and doing my G-force maneuver, and, um, and I died that day. <laughs> uh, and I died probably two or three times that day. Well, anyway, we finish up the, the, the very painful sortie, which nobody really looks forward to, and um, we got down into our briefing room, and the instructor pilot said, uh, put your tape in. Right? So the F-16 has the ability to record everything you're seeing out the cockpit. All the heads-up display, the actual image of this, the, the, the sky. And so we're playing my tape, and we see us get set up, and you hear the fights on call. You see my plane go 90 degrees. You see it bank into, you know, or, or the G-forces ramp up to 9 Gs. And then you just see this going on. And, and um, all of a sudden, about halfway through, <clears throat> he hit stop about halfway through the fight, about 30 seconds. He stops, and he said, Chuck, um, you, uh, you lost sight of me here. I said, well... Yeah, how did you know? He said, watch your G-meter. And he pushes play, and the G-meter's doing 9, 9, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. And then all of a sudden you hear, Fox 2, you're dead. And so and he stops the tape, and he said, Chuck, I could tell you lost sight of me because your G-meter's an indicator of that and how willing you are to fight. He said, we have a saying in the F-16 community, actually in the fighter pilot community. He said, if you ever lose sight of the enemy you will lose the fight, and you're going to die. And I thought, wow, I will never forget that lesson. Because when you don't understand who the enemy is and what he's doing, you're not ready. And you just start drifting out there. And he gets his weapons locked onto you, and he takes you down. So guys, don't ever lose sight of who the enemy is. Don't ever lose sight of what his tactics are. In, in the military, we had... Primary, secondary, and tertiary targets, right? The primary targets were command and control, right? Um, communication centers, that sort of thing. And they taught us that you take those out first, you immediately start crippling the enemy and his capacity to bring the war back to us, the fight to us. Secondary targets might be um, supply chain, 
uh, tertiary targets, who knows? I mean, it might be um, SAM sites or whatever. And so um, you need to know that, that the enemy has primary, secondary, and tertiary targets too. And your family is his primary target. He knows that if he can take your family out, if he can destroy your marriage, if he can ruin your children, his ability to cripple the functionality of the church is enormous. And the church is, is the vehicle to which the gospel of Jesus is supposed to be propelled into the world, right? Well, how can we do that when we're bleeding and in triage, right? When our marriage is falling apart and our kids have rebelled and gone sideways and we ourselves may be being crippled with sin. Guys, the enemy has you locked on. And you have got to keep your eye on him and understand that that battle is going to be fierce till the day we, we're done. Okay? So, I'm having trouble with this cord today. Pinch it near the cable. Oh, okay. I've got it twisted. Sorry about that. Let's see if that helps. Thank you. All right. So our, the war we're fa- facing is very real. We already talked about the two wars, right? The flesh versus the spirit. I'm not going to get into that too much, although um, I will divert here and, and open up the scriptures to Romans chapter 7. You know, I really appreciate the honesty of scripture. I really appreciate um, Paul in his transparency as he relates to his experiences as a believer and yours and mine today. Um, and, and really, that depiction of that battle that you guys, you and I face every day, right? He, he does so poignantly and... Romans chapter 7 and 8. And, and I don't know about you, but I find a lot of encouragement. Because if Paul, right, the apostle, who saw, who was a persecutor of Christians, had the road to Damascus conversion, and then became the ambassador for the gospel to the Gentile world, can re- sit there and tell us of his own struggle, excuse me, of his own struggle with this faith, um, I find great encouragement with that. It tells me, don't give up. Even Paul struggled. And so I'm going to just read a couple of verses from here. Um, to help us understand what it is that we face, guys, and how we have to be victorious in this. It says in Romans, um, in chapter 7, it says, uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And some people have said, well, maybe this passage was written from the perspective of a non-believer. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. I mean, why would he do that for us in the future church of Christ? Um, and then there were some other perspectives, and I thought, no, I think this is Paul writing as Paul to you and me as guys and, and women who face this every single day. And he says, um, For we know that the law of spiritual by am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Have you ever done that? Like, why did I do that? That's exactly what he's saying here. For what I will do, that I do not practice, but that that I hate, that I do. You guys ever been trapped in an episode of sin? It's like, oh, I hate, I hate that this is happening to me. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Okay, um, if then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, all right, but sin that dwells in me. So he's attributing that to the sin that's in me. So when he says it says it's no longer I, you need to understand something that um, there are basically uh, two yous, all right? And and when you give yourself to Christ, um, you have bought, been bought with a price. You're a new creation, 
But it says you are standing. That's the inside. That's, that's, that's the soul, the spirit of you. That's where the temple of God resides. God's spirit dwells in the temple. It says your spirit testifies with God's spirit that you are one. All right? And just like the, the three, the three um, um, tabernacles of the temple, right? There's the inner chamber, the middle chamber, and the outer chamber, which is where the Gentiles could go. That's the perfect picture of you and I and how we're built. Inside of us is the inner, the holy of holies, which is where the Spirit of God dwells. It says that you've been perfected, you've been, you've been sanctified. I remember once in a Bible study with my pastor and this group, and, and they said, you've been perfected and sanctified. I said, I raised my hand and said, what? How is that possible? I was just a young guy. I said, how am I perfect? I sure don't feel perfect. I still sin. I get zits. I mean, what's perfect about Chuck Black? And he didn't really give me a very good answer. And I realized that it's not the, it's not the body. In fact, the, it says in Scripture that your, your flesh can't be made perfect. It, it's, it's corrupted. All right? But what is perfect is the spirit inside you that dwells with the Holy Spirit of God. You've only been made perfect and sanctified by the indwelling of the spirit. So when it says it is no longer I that sin, and what he's saying is it's no longer me, that, whole, that perfected, sanctified uh, spirit of me that sins, but sin in me, sin in my flesh. All right? And that's that battle that wages against us. And let's just look at this epic battle that he faces. If then I do what I will not do, I agree with the law, okay. For I know that is, and he even, he even parentheticals this. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. In other words, your flesh cannot do good on its own. For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil I will not do, that I practice. Now I do, uh, let's see, jump here. I find then a law that is evil. That is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. There it is, that inward, the spirit. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And this is the verse that you just, you just hear it, you can feel it. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, listen to this, from this body of death? Our body is a decaying part of who we are, right? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he turns on and answers it. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And guys, that, that, that battle is going to continue to be there. But what you need to understand here as men is that you have your fleshy, sinful you know, body, but then you have your perfected spirit. What, what, what lives in between in that battle zone is the mind. The mind has the ability to, to give you a direction in life. And whether your mind gravitates to the flesh or whether it gravitates to the spirit is up to you. And you know that. You've seen that. You've probably experienced it yourself. I've seen godly men completely fall away because their minds started dwelling on the, on the things of the flesh and they got so wrapped up, it's almost like they became a different person. I remember my son who gave us the greatest of our challenges of the six. He had a period of two years of rebellion and he was just doing things and I was just, we were on our knees. I was just despondent. And, and then he finally, through God's grace, brought him back and, and restored him. And he, he said to me once, he said, Dad, I look back at those time, that time period, it's almost like I was a different person. And it's true. 
Because that's what sin does. It corrupts the mind. It corrupts your thinking. And it destroys the person that you're supposed to be in Christ. Um, there, was a, there was an insurance salesman that came out to a farmer who's going to sell him some insurance. And he pulls up in his car. And uh, all of a sudden... Um, he gets out and he starts heading up and there's this dog that shows up, this gnarly dog on the right side of the house. And it's just, he's vicious. His fangs are showing, his drooling is like, I'm going to die. Obviously the farmer has had insurance salesmen before. So, um, and he, he just freezes. But then all of a sudden he hears something else. He turns and around the other side of the house, another dog shows up. And it's just as mean and just as ferocious as this other one. And his fangs are showing. He's like, now I'm really going to die. What do I do? And all of a sudden, these two dogs, they take after, they take after him, right? And, they, and, and, and instead of going to him, they go to each other, and they start fighting. I mean, the fur is flying, and it's the most vicious fight this guy is. And he's like, whoa. And the farmer comes out on his porch, and he says, hey, dude, what are you, get on up here. And he runs up to the porch to get out of this fray, and he's watching these animals just get after it. And he said, what's going on? He says, oh, you're lucky you didn't get in the middle of that. He said, well, what's going on? He says, oh, well, they're obviously, they're, they hate each other. And he said, well, do they fight like this all the time? He said, all the time. We can't stop them. They just hate each other. They just fight, fight, fight. And the guy says to the farmer, well, which one wins? He said, well, that's easy. The one I feed. Guys, you have two dogs inside you. They hate each other. It says that your spirit and your flesh are at enmity, one with the other, always contesting with each other. The one you feed is the one that's going to win. Do you want to be a righteous vessel through which God can work for his kingdom, for your wife, for your family? You better start feeding the right dog. It's up to you. You know, it's simple, but hard. (laughs) And you just got to get up every morning and say, Lord, help me feed my spirit. Help me feed the spirit that's going to give me victory over my flesh every single day. That's why I'm looking forward to the redemption of the body, guys. Because on that day, that fight stops. <laughs> Instead of this going on, on that day, your spirit and your flesh is going to do this. And we will be righteous through and through. Okay? All right. So um, uh, the reason I share that with you guys is because um, if we're losing this battle, we're going to lose the bigger one. And, and your wife and your children, whether they are blessed or whether there's cursing in their life is going to come down to you and that internal struggle and whether you're victorious, okay? And, and um, there's some young years, so I've got to be careful. But you know the biggest struggle we have, guys, and especially in today's world of technology, it can destroy you so fast. Um, I had, there was a fellow veteran who lived next door to me who was uh, a deacon in our Baptist church um, in all kinds of ministries and uh, who, whom I consider a real good friend at the time. One day the sheriff's car showed up in front of his house and his brother, who I was a good friend with too, uh, walked over. I remember meeting him on the, on the grass. I said, what's going on? And he said, the sheriff's here to take him to jail. But he's run. He's not here. I said, what happened? Come to find out that he had been abusing his three adopted daughters for like nine years. And my heart just shattered. 
with the lives of those daughters, those girls that he destroyed. I went and visited him in prison and asked him, what happened? How did you come to this place? I said, was it pornography? He said, yep. That's where it started. Guys, it isn't how far down the road that you are on that matters. It's the road that you're on that matters. Stop it, all right? You're, the outcome of your loved ones depends on it. The enemy wants, you take, wants to take you all the way down that road to utter and total destruction. And if you keep t- putting one foot in front of the other, that's where you're going to end up, all right? So um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I know the struggle myself. I think we all do. Um, and um, that there's things that you can do to, to and, and let's talk about that. Strongholds. How do you pull down strongholds? In Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses four, you find a, a great picture of this. All right, and and here is what you do. Number one, the first thing you have to do, whether it's that or whether it's some other sin, whether it's alcohol, whether it's addiction to video games, or whether it's whether it's gossip or whether it's whatever it is, guys. You know when a stronghold has control over you because you don't have control over it, right? And if you're entertaining sin long enough, it will become a stronghold. So number one, you first have to admit that it has control over you. Where you can't stop it. And it is owning you on a consistent basis. That's number one. Number two, you need to apply overwhelming force. You leave no quarter for this sinful activity in your life. You do whatever it takes because it's not just... Maybe your job that at stake. It's the, your future spiritual, you know, destiny or your families or your children. You do whatever it takes. You hold nothing back, right? You, you give it complete and overwhelming force. You set zero tolerance with accountability. Boy, this, and honestly, guys, this is probably the toughest thing for you and I. As a man, um, getting open and honest with somebody that's hard. <laughs> I struggled with that. Uh, that. But that accountability is where there is power. It says in, in Scripture, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth months. Oh, no, it says, here, the other verse I'm thinking of is, Confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's, there's a parallel there. All right? If you want to be righteous, you've got to be open and honest and deal with the sin. But you can't do it on your own. If a stronghold, if sin has become a stronghold, I've never talked to any single person who has had a stronghold in their life that didn't overcome it with accountability built in, especially in the area of, of sexual sin. Um, and so accountability is so key to this. And you, you need to find somebody that, that has victory in their life, right? It's not good to have somebody that's also struggling with it. Somebody has victory in it. Somebody who respect, all right? Um, somebody that has, uh, when you think about, if I have to share this with them, I'm going to be so embarrassed. That's probably the guy, okay? Because um, it, that is what gives you strength in those moments of solitude, right? Say, I, ha- I'm going, I know he's going to ask me, and I'm going to have to tell him the truth, all right? Um, let's not do this. There's power in that, and the Bible says so. Um, let's see here. Where am I at? For me, I, I, I use um, a, a program called Ever Accountable. There's also um, Covenant Eyes. 
But there are many different programs out there, especially in our today's world in technology, where you no longer have to get in your car and drive down to the other side of the tracks to get with, you know to do this. It's at a click of a button. You guys, you better have something built in to help you. Um, and so I have a Jonathan. I actually have two Jonathans in my life. If you don't have a Jonathan in your life, pray for one. That's another prayer God is anxious to answer. Somebody that you can you can get personal with, honest with, transparent with, and gutsy with about being a righteous man of God. Um, I have two of them in my life. And um, one of them is the one I've chosen to be my accountability partner. We hold each other accountable for this. We call each other. Hey, you know, I saw this, this alert came up. What's going on? You know? And so, um, and we, we use uh, some software to help us do that, and I recommend that because it's, it's in today's world, you almost can't get away from some use of technology. Well, that opens up a, a door of a Pandora's door, right, for this kind of sin. So, and then finally, rely on and apply the power of God through prayer and Scripture. That that's your offensive weapon, guys. The Word of God is the only offensive weapon you've got in the armor of God, and so you better you better use it. All right. Memorize scripture to help you over. And some of my favorite scriptures are capturing every thought to the obedience of Christ. I just imagine taking that thought. And remember, it all starts in the mind, right? Where is it going to gravitate? When that mind starts going to the flesh, you just stop it. Capture that thought. Jesus, this is that thought. Take it from me, all right? And let me turn my thoughts to you, okay? Music helps, all right? It's pretty hard to be in sin when you're singing praises to God, okay? So turn it on and start singing praises to God. Guarantee you that'll help immensely. Fellowship one with another. The, the body of Christ, the, this church, is huge. Don't just do it on Sunday. Do it Sunday, Sunday evening, Wednesday. I mean, that, that's just that's what charges me. That's what keeps me going through the week. Um, all right, moving on because, uh, again, I'm getting late. Uh, let's talk about who wins wars because we've got to win. This. First, we've got to win the internal one, then we've got to win the external one. But let's talk about who wins wars, all right? I'll tell you who wins wars. Those who embrace the battle and commit to it. And I talked about that this morning, so I don't need to get into that too much. But you just got to understand that this is going to continue. It is part of our existence. Um, I, I read, you know, I read about stories about guys. Um, oh, there's one famous music, musician, Christian guy, whose music I just adored and loved and found spiritual. One day <laughs> I woke up and... There's a story about him, uh, about how he just had given up on his marriage and given himself over to homosexuality because that's just the way he was and his way he was built. And I was like, dude, you gave up on the fight. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. We all have different struggles. It says it's going to happen to the end. Maybe yours was homosexuality, but you don't stop fighting it. I don't believe that there are any, any homosexual Christians, but I do believe there are Christians who, who fight homosexuality and struggle with it. There's nothing special about that sin. It's just a flavor that God has for a certain group of people. Everybody, he's got a flavor for everybody. You know, the Baskin-Robbins 48 flavors of ice cream, he's got the same thing for sin, all right? And I don't care what human being you are, he's got a flavor for you. And it, there's nothing special about any sin. It's all, it all separates you from God, all right? And so you just got to embrace this. I'm not going to embrace that sin as okay just so I can feel better about myself because God says what God says. And that's just the truth. Let's live by his standards, all right, and just embrace this fight. It's going to be there till the end, guys. So embrace it. Um, I love this picture of these, of these guys here. You know, there's, there's some special ops guys getting ready to go in on a mission. Can you imagine in the, in, the, in the helicopter, they're flying in, you know, and they're sitting next to each other, and one guy goes, 
man, I can't believe we have to do this again. I had a great Netflix series I was watching. I'd rather be doing that. Yeah, me too. And yeah, give me some popcorn. I'd rather be golfing. You imagine these guys talking like that going into a mission? <laughs> I mean, no, they're like, their faces are like flint. They're like, listen, this is going to be tough, all right? It's going to be hard, but we got a mission to do. We're going to go in and, and we're going we're gonna to get it done. And I've got your back and I know you've got my back. Let's get after it. Those are the guys that win, right? Not the ones like, oh, I just I can't believe we have to do this again, you know? I'm so tired of fighting this, this, this temptation. I'm just, ah, just done with it. I mean, is it really that bad? Those are the guys that lose, okay? Um, those who are prepared. And how do you prepare? Well, guys, you're doing it right now. <laughs> I praise God for it. Um, you prepare by becoming students of, of fatherhood. Become a student of being the best husband you can be. There's some fantastic resources out there. I know, I know uh, your pastors will be glad to feed you. Um, there's the Conquer series, all right, for that particular one. There's also uh, Love and Respect, the Igriches, and, and anything that you feel like you need, and be honest with where you're weak, all right? Maybe it's in loving your wife. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's um, devotions with your children. Uh, maybe it's in the area of temptation from the air. Whatever it is, guys, let's just be honest. And I, I just, there's this prayer I pray when I'm strong enough and courageous enough. And I'm in, usually it's in the middle of the night and I wake up and I can't get back to sleep for some reason. It's probably because God's just poking me, you know, knowing, hey, I've got something for you to deal with, Chuck. And, and in those moments, when, when the phone's not ringing and the texts aren't dinging, right, and the kids aren't begging for your attention, and it's just you in the solitude and the silence of night, don't be frustrated by lack of sleep. Do you know what's happening? Just like in Samuel, he, God is saying, I'm here, let's talk. I learned to start capitalizing on those, those minutes or maybe even hours in the middle of the night where all of the distractions of the world are gone. And, and you, just, you just need to, just at that moment, guys, you just need to open up your chest, open up your heart and say, Lord, give me the courage to pray this. I want you to look into every corner of my heart. Tell me where you want me to, where, where I need to be fixed. And tell me what to do, and I'll do it, right? Just, I'm here. I'm going to be fully trans. No closets, no doors shut. Speak to me, Lord. Again, that's a prayer he loves to answer. It might be hard, but he'll never ask you to do something that you can't do and that he won't help you through. And you will reap blessing beyond blessing you can even imagine if you are courageous enough to pray that and follow it with obedience, okay? Um, Those who are prepared. And then... And I've already talked about this, those who don't quit. Guys, don't you quit. I remember in the throes of being a father of six kids and a job and marriage and things were getting hard. And I remember one night, Andrew and I were fighting and things were just collapsing around me. I just felt like, ah, it's all coming unraveled, you know. And, and I just got so frustrated and so angry. I remember stepping, walking out of the, the, the house, closing the door behind me and standing on the front porch and looking up. And in Williston, it's kind of like Alamo. So you can look up and you can see, you know, the hills out there. And I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of this. I can't do it another day. What, what if I just, what if I just started walking? What if I just, what if I just went and started over? That actually was a thought that hit my mind. I'm like, man, it would just be so nice just not have to deal with this. 
this chaos, this frustration, this anger. And I remember one day I was driving to work and there was this, this young talk show host who was interviewing an old elderly gentleman who was celebrating his 60th wedding anniversary. And I remember thinking, this is interesting. I want to hear what he's got to say. And the guy asked me, he says, in today's world, your marriage is, is unusual. It's unique. 60 years? How did you do it? And I remember thinking, I better pull over and take notes. <laughs> I would like to have a 60-year marriage, but it sure doesn't feel like it's going to you know, go that far. And, and I remember thinking, I, be, I better listen close. And the elderly gentleman just said, just with such wisdom, he said, well, it's really simple. And the guy's like, what do you mean? You just don't leave. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's it? <laughs> Where's the 10 steps? You know, what's the... He says, you just don't leave. If you don't leave, you don't have to figure out how to come back. You just don't leave. And as I stood that day, that night, on the porch, thinking about leaving, <laughs> the words of that elderly gentleman came back to me. He's like, Chuck, don't you leave. Don't you quit. And I realized, no matter where I went, there I was. <laughs> I'd just bring my old mess with me. I was probably half of the problem to start with, maybe more. Humble myself, take a breath, go back in, find my wife apologize, get my kids around, get things back in order, and start again. Guys, don't quit. Don't you leave, right? It's that simple. You just don't quit. doesn't say you're not going to get bruised. doesn't say you're not going to fall down. doesn't say you're not going to get tempted, right? You're not going to get persecuted. You just don't quit. And God is waiting, waiting to support you, waiting to heap blessing, waiting to heap promise on you. Just don't quit. He even says, you know, many run the race, but only the one that finishes gets the prize. If you run a marathon and you get 100 feet from that finish line and you're just like, oh, I'm done. You walk away. You don't get the prize. Guys, you finish it. You finish it out to the end of your life. That's when the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of God. Don't you give up. Okay. That's who wins wars, guys. It's that simple. All right, let me move on here. Um, okay. Yeah, running behind. So this will be a segue into uh, the book because what I have next is lots of great advice for how to be a leader in your family. And I don't have time to go through it because we're going to cut this a little bit short. I'm just going to do a synopsis of this. Develop strong relationships with each of your members of your units. Um, assume responsibility and use authority wisely. Um, you know, you've heard about, you've heard the term servant leader, right? That doesn't mean that you go and do all the dishes and do all the chores. It means that you have to have a heart of being willing to put your people before your own needs and desires. That's what it means. I had so many different commanders in my days in the military. Some were great and some were terrible. And the ones that were great that I would follow into battle, they're the ones that did this. They had the unit's interests at heart and above and beyond their own. And I knew it. I knew that he would give more for me than he would for himself. Are you that kind of dad? Are you that kind of husband? I want you to think about this. Imagine going into battle, right? Who would you follow into battle? Would you follow yourself? Are you the kind of guy that you would follow into battle? 
If not, why would your wife follow you? Why would your children follow you? You need to be that kind of guy. That needs to be your goal. And it might take years to get there, but that needs to be your process. Okay? Um, communicate effectively. Most, Almost all of the major fights that Andrew and I had had to do with lack of communication or miscommunication, something like that. Um, so communicate effectively. And for me, being the introvert that I showed, shared with you that I was, that was really hard. I had to really uh, trust Andrea and have her help me get to that point, especially when kids started showing up. You know, it's like, oh, I'd like to just go to my corner. No, Chuck, you can't do that. This, this, this daughter of yours, this son of yours needs you right now. Engage, right? Anybody seen The Incredibles? Bob, I need you to engage. Anybody seen that? <laughs> if you haven't seen The Incredibles, it's an animation. It's a great show. Family values and everything. So anyway, um, build your people up. Train your people to be a team. Make the difficult decisions. Don't abdicate that to your wife, right? Be confident, not arrogant, and then again, finish the race and be resilient. Um, I'll, I'll just share one story back here on number one with relationships. Relationship, relationship, relationship. Um, again, this was tough for me, um, but again, I got uncomfortable and just decided I had to get good at it. And um, I remember when our daughters were uh, in the 14 to 12-year-old range, our, our two middle daughters, um, our our, our middle daughter was entertaining a relationship with a young guy that was not healthy for her. I knew this guy wasn't good, and yet she just was she was kind of drawn to the the attention that he was giving her and that sort of thing. And finally, I, I realized, okay, Chuck, it's time to step in. So I went to Emily, and I said, Emily, you're going to stop. Right? We're done. Right? This guy isn't good for you. No more texting, no more phone calls. You're not seeing him. It's over. And Emily, she was our passive-aggressive one. She was like, okay, Dad, sure. You know? I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> And so uh, we walked away from that. I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this is taking care of it. And uh, a couple days later, she showed up. Dad, i got to share something with you. And I said, what's that, Emily? She said, well, you know, you told me I couldn't see this guy or talk to this guy or text this guy anymore. I said, yep. She said, well, I was thinking about doing it on the sly. And um, I, went to my, I went to Abby, her younger sister, and said, Abby, Dad told me I couldn't see or talk to this guy anymore. But i got to ask you, I'm thinking about doing it on the sly. What do you think? And she said, Emily... Do you remember that time when I was pretending to do my math assignments and I wasn't? And I figured out a way so that Dad didn't know it. And she said, I remember that. And she said, it lasted a few weeks. She said, yeah. She said, when I was doing that, I avoided Dad. I, didn't, I knew that, that there was going to be accountability there. And I knew that if he was going to ask me, I was either going to have to lie or fess up and face it. And I just didn't want to do that. And I avoided him. And I missed him. If you do this, you're going to start avoiding dad, and you're going to miss him. And Emily looked at me, and she said, Dad, I just wanted you to know that that's the advice that Abby gave me, and that's the kind of relationship that you have with us, and I want to thank you. And wow, that just, that humbled me, because I had no idea that my daughters would choose me over the world. And guys, isn't that true for us? We're entertaining sin. What happens when you entertain sin in your life? You start to avoid the Father. It's just inevitable. We need to choose God over the world. And you need to have relationships with your people so that they would choose you over some other sinful activity. Okay? That's the strength of those relationships. All right. Um, so, Greg already said about the book here. I, I'm not here to sell books, guys. That's not what I'm doing. Um, but I do want to give you any resources to help you do your job better. And so what these slides here um, 
are about. We'll, we'll go into more depth in the book. And so if this piques your interest and you feel like you want to have some help in this area, uh, the free book over there that, that Greg has for you is we'll go into more depth here. Authority, um, teach biblical roles and authority in your family. That's tough in today's world. That is, uh, if you're going to be a biblical man, you're going to be a chauvinist. You're gonna, that's because they don't understand. They don't understand servant leadership and humility and confidence. Um, trust the biblical counsel of your wife. I can't tell how many times my, my lovely wife has, has... And if you're facing a big decision, first thing you do is, is, is go to her and say, Honey, I'm facing this decision. I need some counsel. Please go to the Lord in prayer and, and tell me what he says while you're doing the same thing, right? Um, and she has saved me many times with her biblical counsel. Never delegate the tough decisions. Anybody had a job where you've been responsible for the outcome, but you didn't have the authority to pull it off? Any of you guys face that? Is that frustrating? You're responsible, but you don't have the authority or the resources to pull it off. Guys, when you abdicate the spiritual responsibility of your family to your wife, that is what you've done to her. God did not make her the spiritual leader in her home. He made you the spiritual leader. And if you're not leading your family spiritually because she's doing it and it's just easier for her to do it, you're giving her the responsibility, but she doesn't have the authority because that authority comes from God to you. So don't put her in that same situation that you found yourself frustrated with at work a few years ago. Okay? Um, never delegate the tough decision. Practice sacrificial leadership. Uh, man's responsibilities, again, there's, there's a lot to get in here, but make an oath to God and to your family. Um, I remember I had done that. I did that to my poor wife when I went to went in the Air Force and my career was consuming me, busy. I went to squadron officer school, and while I was there, I met a man who just discipled me for seven weeks, and I came back to my wife, and we were, she met me on the driveway, and I looked at her, and I stopped, and I said, Honey, I need, to, I need to apologize to you. I need to ask for forgiveness. Because I know that in the last couple, two, three years, that you have taken the spiritual leadership of our home because I wasn't doing it. And that was wrong on my part. Please forgive me, and I'm ready to take that back and be the spiritual leader. And that, that lovely wife of mine, who, by the way, was raised in a feminist home, all right, and we had contention for a number of years, but God worked on her while he was working on me, and she just sunk into my embrace. It was almost like I lifted a 40-pound pack off of her shoulders. And she said, I am so ready for you to be that again. And so, guys, if that's what you need to do, do it. Step into that role. Um, pray for the heart of Malachi 4.6. I will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse, God says. Let your hearts be turned to your family. Um, commit to loving your wife, raise your sons to be men and leaders, and protect and equip your daughters. You know, you never know if your daughter's going to be called to singleness for her life. She just needs to be equipped and ready, just like a Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, find a Jonathan for support accountability, and choose God over everything and everyone else. I have some stories for that, too, but we don't have time, so I'm going to pass on that. Um, leaving a legacy. Remember, guys, we leave what we live. We don't leave our intentions. Our intentions are just like dust in the wind, right? Um, but you're, what you actually live out is the legacy that will be remembered by your children, by your wife, by your grandchildren. Um, the fight is noble. The stakes are high. But the reward is great. All right? So just remember that as you enter into this battle. And then uh, there's the book, Inspiring Men to Be the Spiritual Leaders in Their Home. Guys, I just want to thank you so much for, again, um, sitting through this hour with me. Um, hopefully there's something in there that the Lord may have for you. Um, every time I talk 
give this talk. I get convicted myself because I know it's it's God leading me to do better in my role. We can always we can always do that. But don't be defeated, all right? Don't you be defeated. God's got encouragement for you at every step of the way. Just turn to him for it every single morning, all right?